Welcome, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to episode 35 of the It Matters to Me podcast, a show that celebrates the random through one-on-one conversations with people and the passions they pursue. With me on today's journey is Eric Christensen, military veteran and CEO of Nutrient Survival, a disruptive end-to-end food and beverage nutrition tech company based in Reno, Tahoe, Nevada. Born at the start of the pandemic, Nutrient Survival redefines what survival food is and has a patented top-shelf special ops-grade nutrition that's designed for the standards of the U.S. military, but is intended for people like you and me. Prior to joining the company, Eric worked for over two decades with Fortune 500 and privately held packaged goods companies building strong consumer brands and launching breakthrough innovation. We kick things off by talking about his time in uniform as a West Point graduate and Ranger-qualified field artillery officer with the prestigious 101st Airborne Division. We then get into his personal evolution upon leaving the military and how he eventually found his way to nutrient survival after working with companies like Procter & Gamble and Campbell's Soup. I couldn't shake the phrase command presence during my talk with Eric, and I think once you listen to his story, you'll understand why. Now, I haven't been able to sample everything from Nutrient Survival, but based on the few that I have, I can't recommend them enough. And if you're like me and you just want to be prepared in case something happens in your area, like what happened to Texas last year when thousands of people lost power because of an ice storm, I've got a special promo code in the show notes for you to use to get 10% off any order at Nutrient Survival. Okay, that was a longer intro than normal, so I'll do us all a favor and just cut myself off. So let's get to it. Here's my talk with Eric Christensen. Eric, welcome to this show. How are you doing? Never been better, buddy. Oh, I love it. I love the energy already starting off. Uh, So um, Eric, you are the CEO of Nutrient Survival and you have an absolutely impressive professional and just kind of personal uh, resume um, that we're absolutely going to get into. But before we get into any of that, one way I love to start the show is uh, giving the listener a little bit more of a personal feel of the guest. And I do that with a question that I can't seem to to kick, and it's usually related to who you were growing up. And I like to phrase it in sometimes more of a comedic way, sometimes of a lighthearted way, but I'm just going to ask you straight up. If I knew you growing up, what kinds of stories would I tell about you? (laughs) Well, holy crap. I mean, uh, well, first off, it was a long damn time ago. I mean, you're what, uh, 30-something-ish? I just turned 36 maybe two days ago. Wow, look at that. So 36. So I think I was graduating high school about the time you were born. So that's how like old and decrepit I am. Um, but I'm still, I'm still trucking, you know, but that was a long time ago. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, gosh, if we had grown up in the same era, uh, we might be hanging out. Uh, we might be good friends. I don't know. I think you're a pretty cool guy. You got some really cool stories of your own, but yeah, man, I mean, I was born in Wisconsin and, you know, thus the name Christensen, Eric Christensen, very Norwegian. So my grandpa was this Norwegian guy, Norwegian descent, uh, dairy farmer out of Wisconsin. That's where a lot of, uh, you know, Norwegians hang out, I guess, Germans, Norwegians. My other grandpa, uh, he emigrated from Germany in 1925. And so he was an upholster, actually got to work on like Kaiser Wilhelm's cars and upholstered his cars. Those are the stories I remember as a boy. But we moved from Wisconsin when I was about nine. We, so uh, I grew up in Washington State. Uh, they, you know, my family, my mom, dad, my, uh, my older sister, I'm one of five. I'm right in the middle. But my older sister graduated from high school. She said, I'm, I'm, I'm staying here. This is where all my friends are. I'm, I'm having a good time. I'm going to beauty school. I think they call it uh, cosmopolitan. Cosmetology, not cosmetology, but the beauty school. So she went to be a a hairdresser and all that. That was her plan. And the rest of us, we were a little bit younger. We moved out to Washington State. And uh, so I grew up out on the Olympic Peninsula. Awesome part of the world. Just amazing part of the world. Didn't realize it growing up how truly amazing that part of the world is. 
but that's absolutely where I'd say I grew up uh, with my immediate family. No relatives, because my mom and dad, both from Wisconsin, picked up and loaded up the Pinto and the Winnebago, literally. My mom, I think, had six chairs from the dining room table strapped on the top of the Pinto and headed west, proverbial head west. And they started a new life. It was amazing. It was amazing. We, we had no idea. Again, we were just kind of being drug along, the kids, and it was an adventure for us too. But we left, we left you know, friends behind and, and what you know, friends meant at that point in your life, right? But mostly, I think, the immediate family, uh, you know, we became a very solid, strong unit uh, because we didn't have grandma, grandpa, cousins, brothers. Uh, well, I had brothers and sisters. But, you know, the cousins... And that sort of extended support network. They were not around. So it was us. It was us. And I grew up out there in the, in the, in the backwoods. Um, the Olympic Peninsula is amazing. If, if you've never been out there, you, you got to go out there. You would love it. You would love it. I don't know about yeah, the trails, I, but you would love it. <laughs> I don't, I actually just last year was the first year, um, first time ever, to be honest, that I've, I've been up there. I, uh, bought a van is <laughs> best way to start that, this yeah. story. <laughs> I bought a van, um, uh, two years ago and built it out, uh, just enough for, for me and my girlfriend to basically survive in. Um, and, um, we at one point drove up to Washington state and she's actually got another, uh, she's also a trail runner and she's got, um, a race coming up in July that will probably take us up there. But yeah, we've been up briefly to washington state and i and um wigby island maybe oh yeah sure yeah well i you know you get head out to head out to the peninsula and squim i grew up in a town called squim three thousand people more churches than there were stores a uh, great place to grow up but you know i didn't realize it like i said at the time but it, it was such a a wonderful natural playground i spent more than enough time outside making survival lean-tos out of ferns spending the night out there while it rained and, you know, did not, those ferns did nothing to protect me from the rain. It just came right down on me. I froze my, my butt off and all that. And, and I remember my dad one time was trying to earn a, like a survival badge. And one of the things was like, spend the night outside. So we were out on the Pacific coast. And of course, you know, it rains, I think 364 days of the year on the, on the coast. And we just got dumped on all night. And, you know, my dad, he did what dads do, right? He just kind of tucked me in and, and kept me warm through the night. And I got that dang survival badge. And, uh, you know, it was great. Actually, you couldn't, you couldn't take anything with you. You had to forage off the land. I remember finding like a can of spam or something that was in the woods. Just somebody had dropped it. And I, you know, man, busted that. It was one night. So it wasn't like I was going to starve, but, you know, it was cool. Uh, yeah, you, you know, steal my dad's lumber, build forts out in the woods, uh, played Rambo, commando, whatever, whatever thing was going on and terrorize the neighbors, you know, cami up and, uh, you know, stalk, uh, did what, did what boys did. I mean, we built bonfires, we told stories, we chased girls, we drank <laughs> beer that we weren't supposed to, uh, at the time I was a big fan of Stroh's. I don't know if you remember Stroh's, but yeah, that was that was the best we could do. You get a you know case of Stroh's and head out and make a fire and drink beer. Um, so that's what we did, you know. So it's kind of like this all-American boyhood thing. You know, school came pretty easy for me. I was a good athlete. This, a lot of my friends were were athletes with me. Small town, so everybody played every sport. Not like today, where a kid has to be, you know, very specialized and good in one thing. Uh, you know, the kids these days, you're you're, my son is a swimmer. He's Olympic athlete, swimmer, amazing athlete. Uh, but you know, you have to be able to throw that baseball or you have to be able to shoot that basketball or, you know, you're going to specialize these days. It's all about specialization. And back when I was growing up, it was kind of three season, four season athlete, three season being played football in the fall. I wrestled in the winter and where I grew up in Washington, soccer was in the spring. Uh, I think that's different depending where you, where you live. But so I was kind of a three sport athlete, but, you know, worked hard, 
president of the school, that all that stuff. And used to, you know, summers, buck hay, uh, throw hay bales up on trucks, making five or six bucks an hour, which was awesome. Putting dip, dip in, chew in my, my lip and, you know, throwing up because I swallowed some. So did a lot of stupid stuff like that. But we weren't rich. You know, we weren't rich. Had a pair of Levi's. Love those Levi's. Uh, red, red label, I think they call them. Red tab, something like that. And, you know, some concert shirts and a pair of Nike, sh- Nike shoes I wore, you know, wore to the soles. So, um, yeah, that was kind of growing up out in Squim, Washington. It was fun. Good old days. Well, I can, I can almost guarantee you we would have been friends. You uh, you had me at uh, a pack of or a case of, of Stroh's or Stowe's. I don't stuff anymore. I mean, I've been looking for it. Trust me. You know, I, I um, continued that years and years ago, but it was I th- it was the best we could do at the time. <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, I, I must admit, I listened to uh, you give another interview and talk about those, and I tried to look them up, and I I I think they're so antiquated that I couldn't even find them on the internet anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah right, right. Um, uh, but that, yeah, that's awesome, and I love I love asking that question because especially in this case, it really does give insight into who you are today. And there's so many threads to pull on. Um, but, uh, you know, you eventually, uh, go on to join West Point or you, you get admitted to West Point and then you have a pretty distinguished career in the army. And it seems like you were giving yourself your own, uh, seer training at that point. (laughs) uh, Yeah. Yeah. You know, so when it came to time to, to think about college, I, I figured a scholarship would probably be the best idea. Um, so I, I signed up for all the military academies and, uh, and, and ROTC programs as well. You know, I just needed a little bit of help. Um, all my sibling or my, my brothers and sisters, they all paid their own way through college, you know, five of us and mom and dad just didn't have the, the means to do that. They supported us and, and brought us up in the right way in so many other ways. But, you know, we kind of did what we needed to to get ourselves through through college. You know, I got the the $20 in the mail every now and then uh, to go off and, you know, buy some uh, popcorn from the convenience store up the way. We called it Boodlers at West Point. It's called Boodlers. Anybody that's a West Pointer knows Boodlers. But that was our on-campus convenience store. We bought ice cream and junk food up there was great anyway but yeah when it was time to think about college i i thought a scholarship was was probably the best route and and while i applied for all the academies uh west point was the only one i really wanted and you know so i think you know when i think about the the academies and it's easy to say this now because i've been through west point and have graduated it and had a had a you know a, a bit of time in the army and whatnot but it's very true and as i as i think back about navy was all about engineering, you know, big vessels, boats, nuclear subs, that sort of thing. And that just wasn't me. Machines just you know, wasn't something I was crazy about. And plus I couldn't swim. I was a horrible swimmer. I was a rock swimmer. They threw me in the water and I sunk to the bottom. It was me and a couple other uh, buddies. We were, we were the rock swimmers. But so Air Force at the time, you know, Top Gun, think about it, 86. Now Top Gun is Navy, but it was still about flying. The Air Force was all for pilots, and I, I, I cannot see clearly without uh, corrective lenses, okay? So I said, Air Force is not for me. They're a bunch of, kind of the third academy anyway, right? You know, they're always trying to earn their way up the ranks, but I have some Air Force friends, and they, hopefully I'll, I'll send them this podcast, and they'll hear me missing Air Force one more time. Uh, but Army, Army was for leaders. You know, that was it. It was about leadership. And they always used to say as part of their, their selling materials, you know, the, the history we teach is about the people we taught, the leaders we taught. You know, the history we teach is about the leaders we taught. It's like, man, that sounds pretty cool. That, that sounds pretty cool. And it's very true. You think about all the great military leaders, they're, they're West Pointers. Um, and we've got some ROCC folks sprinkled in there, but they're mostly, <laughs> they're mostly West Pointers. And all I needed to get into West Point, I didn't have to swim. I didn't have to see. All I needed was a strong back 
for that rucksack. You know, you're, you're a Marine, so you're the Army equivalent of the Navy, right? Uh, so thank you for that. But I have a lot of respect for Marines, but there wasn't like a Marine Academy. You had to go to the Navy and then select Marines. So I probably would have done that if I, if I'd been to Navy. So anyway, but I did well at West Point, got my first pick in my branch, um, went artillery, thought I was outsmarting the whole system. Um, because, you know, I always said, why, why walk when you can ride? And if you're pulling a big artillery piece, you're, you've got to have a prime mover in front of it, you know, deuce and a half or a five ton or, you know, Humvee, even with the 105s. But, um, and, and, and so I thought I was, I was gaming it. I got my first selection and I, and I chose my first assignment. I chose Panama, uh, down the Republic of Panama. This was a couple of years after Noriega, um, graduated 91. Noriega was, Noriega just cause was 89. So things were still pretty shot up down there. Um, but there, it wasn't a active combat, you know, zone or anything like that. Um, but of course I get assigned to a light infantry unit, jungle, jungle unit, right? <laughs> so there I was so much for that idea. Uh, my rucksack weighed more than everybody's rucksack. It was, had the radio and backup batteries that, you remember this, weighed, you know, five, 10 pounds each. Plus I was carrying mortar rounds around. So it was, they, you know, they, they figured it out and they got the last laugh for sure. Yeah. I, um. I felt so bad for RTOs. Um, <laughs> yeah, RTOs. <laughs> all they had to do was carry the radio equipment. And it was, yeah. and we always, you know, you know, gallows humor. You'd always joke because the RTO, you know, radio operator is walking around with this giant antenna. And it's like, <laughs> you know, the first guy they're going to shoot. That's exactly it. That's it. it. That's it. Yeah. So I carried my fair share of those radios. Yeah. My CEO, my first CEO, he was a uh, second ranger bat guy and he jumped in a Rio Hato during just cause. And I wasn't ranger qualified at the time. And he made me his executive officer of this, of this infantry company and all these other infantry lieutenants like, what, what are you doing? You're making this artillery guy, your XO. Like, no, I mean this, he is the, he's the number two. I want him in charge. If I take a bullet, Christensen's got it. And, you know, I think I had a little bit of resentment from that being a artillery guy in the infantryman's world. But he said, Christensen, you're going to, you're going to uh, ranger school. So I, I went, I said, I don't want to do that. He said, you're going, uh, okay, whatever. So, uh, so, I, so I went to ranger school and, you know, made it through ranger school. That was amazing. It was tough. Uh, ended up getting the, the leadership award, which was for the officer, the best kind of officer and went straight through, didn't recycle at all. And yeah, it was, it was tough. Um, but it, it, you know, it's, it's one of these things in the military, you know, the deal. The first thing you do is you, you kind of check out the guy's left and right shoulder and their chest and you see what they're wearing. And the Ranger tab, at least at that time, you know, it was the ultimate gut check, the ultimate school for the, for the Army. And that rite of passage, you know, opened a lot of doors for me as far as future assignments and, and just general respect. You know, you, you wore the Ranger tab, you were, uh, you know, you were a top block, top block uh, officer for sure. And, uh, so I was, I was pretty, you know, happy to go through that, but yeah, so I did a lot of high speed, low drag stuff, you know, in the, in the army, airborne, air assault ranger, 101st airborne. That was pretty cool. Uh, being part of that distinguished unit, but eventually, um, eventually I, I looked around after about six years in and I, and I looked at some of these guys that I was, uh, pulling talk duty with talk is tactical operations center for, you know, for your listeners and, you know, in the military, you pull 24 seven operations and the primary staff has the day duty, right? And then you've got your secondary staff at night. Usually it's the junior officers and the assistant S3, assistant operations officer. And man, I remember just, it was like 1.32 AM, something like that, 3 AM maybe. And you're just droning, trying to stay awake and I looked around and, the, and these guys just were not having fun. I said, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to be them in five years and I want to live. Um, so I got out. 
And, you know, I was probably going to, I was going to wait until later in the conversation to ask about this. Um, but, you know, you've been out, I think you get out and you got out in 97, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, over 20 years, um, I'm seven years removed. Yeah. And my circumstances were, of leaving were, were not my own, you know, anyone out there knows, knows my story, knows that I was diagnosed with cancer. And, um, that's how I met, uh, that, that's how my military service came to an end. And for a brief period, um, I was okay with that, but you know, how memory fades mm-hmm. and you, you, you forget all the times it sucked. You yeah. forget all the stuff, yeah. the times that, that sucked. Yeah. Um, do you still have those moments? I, I, do, I, do you, do you, do you yeah. still look back and just say, oh man, if only, especially now with mm-hmm. the war that's in Ukraine and I don't know how, you know, you know, when that first started, I mean, they were pleading for people to come and there are definitely stories of former, you know, military members in the U S like going to help out. Did you, yeah. did you ever feel that? Well, I think the, the closest I ever felt was, you know, 2001 with, uh, with nine 11 and my, my wife. So I, I met my wife in Panama and we've been married now about 29 years. This year will be 29 years. And she's awesome. She's Panamanian by birth, but she became naturalized. And that trigger for her to become naturalized was in 2001 as well, when she realized that she, she felt like an American. You know, she had the pride of an American. She was, she was hurt like an American, but she wasn't an American. And she resolved right then that she was going to pursue her citizenship to become an American. And she did it, you know, she did it over a, a period of time. Um, and I'm real proud of her. And so now she's, you know, d- dual citizen uh, of Panama and, and uh, of the, of the U S but she is, you know, 100% red, white, and blue, uh, just like hundred percent red, white, and blue. But I look back on it, like you, you had said, Adam, you know, you're seven years removed. I'm, I'm close to 30. We just had our 30, well, 25, I guess. We had our, our 30th anniversary uh, reunion. I actually didn't go. Um, so that's something I'll probably regret. But I didn't go. You know, you make choices in life. I didn't go. I had other stuff that, were, that was a little bit more kind of pressing. But, uh, you know, some of my buds that I went through West Point with, that I, I was in the military with, you know, they're two-star generals. <laughs> so you're like, you think about those guys and you're like, man, a two-star general. I used to look at those guys and say, holy moly, they're so old. They're so old and they're the general. And, you know, these are, these are guys that I went to school with that I remember giving dress offs at West Point and, you know, helping out, uh, pulling duty with, you know, and, and just a lot of really good times. So, you know, there's that piece of me wondering like, what if, but you make choices in life. And I know I won't be where I am today if I had stayed in. You know, the guys, there's, there's a, a number of my buds that are, are out that have just retired or retired maybe a couple of years ago. And, you know, they're, they're still working. They're still working. They're, they're pulling a, a little bit of a pension, but it's not enough to get them by. And, and so they're out there doing consulting or doing another job or doing whatever. And, uh, you know, for, so for me, I remember when I, I went to a junior military officer recruiting through a recruiting firm, kind of a headhunter version for your military. Didn't know anything about that world. It's, it's obviously, it's huge. And now that I'm in, you know, the real world, corporate America, uh, rely on recruiting recruiters often for needs, placement needs and whatnot. But I remember going through that thing and it was probably the most stressful period of my life. I was, I was debilitated. I could barely move. My stomach was so screwed up. Uh, I remember that very vividly, went to a, a conference and interviewed maybe 15 companies within the course of a day, round robin, you know, 45 minute interviews. And one of them was Procter & Gamble. And that was the, the first interview of my, my whole conference. And that was the place I, I eventually ended up was at, at Procter. Um, 
you know, they, they love military guys, a lot of West Pointers that were their academy people. Very easy to, for me to deal with the structure or the P&G way, as we used to call it. Uh, landed in brand management, knew nothing about brand management. I only knew how to blow, blow things up. Uh, being an artilleryman, that was my, you know, that was the extent of my training. I was an economics major, but, you know, you, you dump that. You don't, you don't remember that. What does it have to do with brand management? Nothing. But they didn't care because for me, I, it was perfect that they had me. I was a completely blank slate. I was a relatively cheap hire compared to the MBAs that they're pulling out, right? Here's a junior military officer that I'm high five and like, you're going to pay me $56,000 a year. You're kidding me. I mean, Adam, I remember this $56,000 a year. I was, I was so excited. I, I, you know, told my wife when we, when we finally got the official offer and accepted, it's like, we're going to go 56,000, jump in the truck, baby. We're going to Outback. <laughs> Went down. To, I, I swear to God, this is the truth, man. Clarksville, Tennessee was at the 101st Airborne. Went to the Outback Steakhouse and we ordered up a blooming onion and a drover's platter for each of us and a couple Fosters to wash it down. Uh, we were, we were pretty excited, you know, and that, that, that was just kind of the start of it. And it, it got better and better and better um, after that, of course. But I do miss it back to your original question. And you do wonder, you miss the camaraderie. Uh, but you know, you never, you never forget. It's like the general MacArthur used to say, you know, old soldiers never die. They just, they just fade away. Were you, did you find that transition easy as brand manager at PNG? Because, you know, you said, because they had, they had the PNG way. So you responded to that structure. Um, but was there a period in there where, you know, I guess if they probably recruited pretty heavily from the military, you, you were among other veterans, but yeah. What was that transition period like as brand manager for the few years that you were there? Honestly, it was horrible. It was, it was horrible. I think I felt a lot of regret, a lot of confusion. I maybe even cried. I don't think I cried, but I maybe even cried. Um, just because it was very confusing. Business was very confusing. What's a case? What's a, Equiv, what's a gross margin? I didn't go to business school. I didn't know any of this stuff, and and so all you know, all I was, they actually, I didn't know it at the time, but they, and and this is nothing against this division or this this group, but they they said, okay, this guy, military, doesn't know anything about business. We're going to put him in food service. So I went to food service, where you can't hurt anything. You can't you can't hurt anything. Now, it's not a power brand. It's not like Crest or Pampers, you know, brand management that they're pulling MBAs in and there's a lot of oversight. And I just, you know, that's where I, I kind of, uh, you know, learned the ropes and they did teach you everything you need to know. Awesome, best structure training, schooling, didn't have an MBA. I eventually went to Xavier University in Cincinnati and got an MBA and they validated a bunch of courses because I was a PNG, not because I knew what I was doing, but because, well, you're a PNG. Okay. You don't have to take the, the marketing required marketing class, or you don't have to take, you know, it was like, okay, great. So, so I did that kind of an executive program back before these things all went online and everything. You still had to go in person, but I did that and got the MBA and it made me, not that I needed it, but I felt very validated relative to my, my peer set, you know, cause again, I didn't know it at the time. I just wanted a good job. And all these guys that are around me are coming out of the best MBA schools out there. Right. And they're kind of like looking down at you, like, huh, look at you. So I, you know, I didn't care. I didn't know enough to care. Um, I just worked hard. Something I've always done, Adam is I'm, I will admit I, I'm not the test taker. I am not the SAT whiz, never got anything like extraordinary on anything, but I will work my tail off to succeed. And it's probably my, my greatest asset and my greatest fault. Um, just nothing great ever came easy. Okay. Nothing great ever came easy. Nothing worth anything ever came easy. And, and that is just a principle that has, has driven me, has guided me my, my entire you know, life. I work harder than everybody. 
I think I work harder than everybody. There's probably people who work harder than me, but I feel like I work harder and that's enabled me to be successful in most endeavors. That's so impressive on so many different levels, but the one that's really speaking to me right now is your career after Procter and Gamble. Um, if I'm correct, you went to work for Pacific Coast Feather Company, uh, and then you were VP of Sales at F VP of Sales and Marketing at Campbell Soup Company, and then um, Chief Marketing Officer and Senior VP of Marketing at Purdue Farms. Um, so you were in the food business, and yeah. you know when it comes to what I was saying, you know, it being impressive. You know, usually people they're they have that fire for a little bit and they want that validation from their peers and that's enough to to maybe motivate them for a little bit but it seems like it was pretty sustained for you and you know where you're at now is the ceo and founder of nutrient survival you know you've stayed in food and i'm curious at any point did it become a love and a passion for food and nutrition, or is it still in some way um, wanting that validation? Mm -hmm. Wow, yeah. Well, I never, I never thought about it that way, but I think you're, you're probably right. Um, you know, despite this, what you call impressive background, resume, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, I'm a little kid from Squim, and I've got insecurities like everybody, right? And uh, I want to show up. And when I show up, I want to do, do well. I want to succeed. Uh, I want to impress. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's been a lot of times in my life where you wonder about what other people think. And am I worthy? And am I going to be able to do this? Uh, and so... I think I'm at the point in my life where I have the confidence because I've got a track record of, of, of being successful and knowing that if I just run my play, if, I, if I'm me, if I'm authentic to who I am and what I'm about and what I believe and how I operate, that I'll be successful. I don't get it right all the time. I, I go home every week and I regret something I did, something I said, a way that I acted. And that will always be, but, you know, I, I really believe that if you, if you are true, if you're authentic, if you have the right grounding, you know, things, things will be okay. Things will be okay. I, I live by, I have three rules that I live by. Okay. And these are all quasi biblical. <laughs> the first one, especially. Uh, are we talking Old Testament or New Testament here? <laughs> uh, I think I, I make a move into the New Testament and then back to the Old Testament. So, so the first is this notion, I call it rule number one, and I, and I teach my kids this, and I don't think they could recite it yet. Maybe my daughter, my son is, is 20 at Notre Dame, and I don't think he's focused on, you know, <laughs> Psalms, I'm sorry, Proverbs 3, 5, 6, which is, so rule number one is trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and all your mind, right? And lean not into your own understanding. So there's this verse, and I memorized it as a child, and my parents did an amazing job raising us in the church uh, and understanding and appreciating, you know, that, that there's something bigger than, than you, right? And that we're here for a reason. I want to get biblical or, or Christianly or whatever you want to call it. But, but that's the first one, because without that, without trusting the Lord, you worry about all kinds of shit, right? You worry about all this stuff. And if you truly surrender and trust in the Lord, you don't have to worry. You do not have to worry. You know, it's like Job, man, that guy, what a, what a tortured life. He, you know, he had everything. He lost it. He had everything and he lost everything. And, he, you know, he had to surrender and you have to trust in the Lord. You, you may not be able to explain why things are happening, you know, your situation, but look at you now, right? Do you think you could have ever called it the way that it has played out? And it's, and it's, it's just, it's very 
comforting not to have to worry because you're not in control. Okay? You're not in control. You may think you're in control. You're not in control. Nobody's in control. Okay, so that's, that's rule number one. Um, rule number two is New Testament. Uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? It's the golden rule. And it is a rule that establishes how you relate to people in relationships. And I think that is, that is super important. I never ask anybody to do anything I'm not willing to do myself. Uh, many days I'm down packing boxes or I'm running slips or I'm calling customers or, you know, or I'm canning cans, whatever it is. Um, and, and, you know, if I'm asking somebody to do that, somebody to mop the floor, I'm going to make sure I can mop the floor. I'm not, I don't, I mean, that's not my best use of my time, but I, I, I know how to mop the floor and I know what, what good looks like. I know what it feels like to can 500 cans of homestyle scramble and feel the pain in your back as a 52 year old man. Yeah. I know what that feels like. And, and that's, to me, that's important. That's important. So do unto others as you would have, as you would have them do unto you, you know, the golden rule and that applies. It just says, look, you know, we live in a world of relationships. And if you want to, you know, if you want to, uh, get respect. You got to give respect. Okay. And then rule number three is about your name. And so this is old Testament. Um, and it's for me, this is a little bit about, you know, who you are, your character is about your character. And it comes after rule number one, rule number two, because you finally get to, to you. Now, maybe this should be rule number two instead of rule number three, but for me, it's rule number three. And it's a, a, you know, a, a good name is worth more than riches because that's all you got. At the end of the day, that's, that's all you got. It's Christensen, you know, it's Casey. That's all you got. And are you going to live up to that name or are you not? But that's what you're going to be remembered for if you are remembered. You think about all the, man, all the people that have gone before you and me and the amazing things that they've done. And I think, you know, you've got such a rich life already, 36, you've done so much. You think about how you have enriched people's lives and all the things that you're doing. And it's amazing. And I'm just so inspired. And, you know, you're impressed with my deal. And I look at it and I say, man, I ain't half the guy that Adam is. I'm not half the guy Adam is. And I wish I could do it over. But you know what? You got to go forward. You got to go forward. So thank you. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm always uh, reminded, uh, for me, it's um, where my faith is, is is a little bit different, but I I like the phrase, you know, th- for me, it's, it's often um, things don't happen for a reason. It's things happen and it's up to us to find the reason in them. Mm. And, um, you know, that can be interpreted so many different ways. Uh, but, but yeah, but we all, but I, I but those three rules, uh, I would yeah. say my, uh, definitely speak to me, um, definitely in how I was raised. And one that, you know, I think that leaped out to me the most because of where you're at now leading nutrient survival is, uh, the name and character. Yeah. And, and yeah. it reminds me of, um, an interview you gave and in, in that interview you uh you spoke to the the importance and one thing that you learned as you know and i hope this is okay to call nutrient survival a start a startup uh to qualify as, as a startup but at the time maybe when you were giving the interview and it was a startup you said the importance of the branding and how important it was for you to tie your personal maybe mm-hmm. brand or your personal image to the company. And so I want, I was wondering when I was reading that, was there anything specific that, um, that made you think that way? Or was that just like a lesson learned, um, over all your years in business? That's so funny. You say that. So it, it was not my own revelation and, you know, I'll, I'll go into the story a little bit, you know, so I, I, I had a, a good storied career at Fortune 500 
companies, great ones, public and private. Um, you know, military was corporate, really. Right? It's a corporate entity, um, not for making money, but it was a business, right? You do, you do things. You carry out the business of our nation and win wars. That's, that's, that's what you do. And so when, you know, when I had finished my role at Purdue as the chief marketing officer, um, it was time to go. You know, I did some really fun things. And the average lifespan of a chief marketing officer these days is like, I think, 25 months or 27 months or something like that. And I was there for six years. So, you know, that's how good I was. (laughs) 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 I don't know what the math is on that, but it's probably three or four times the average. But um, yeah, so it was time to go. You know, I didn't really see eye to eye on a lot of stuff at the time. And it was a wonderful experience. Did some really fun stuff and learned a lot from a lot of really great people and even the difficult relationships uh, I've learned from, you know, they were blessings. So when, when I decided uh, to find my next thing, um, I, I knew I wanted something different than a corporate, call it role, something different for my next chapter. I wanted something that would be you know, free of the, of the bureaucracy of getting things done, free of the years of qualification, test markets before you see something actually show up in front of a consumer, you know, free of the endless PowerPoint presentations that pitched an idea and, you know, budgets that had to get put together and, and all this stuff. And, and even in the, in the corporate world, you know, it's, it's one that just candidly, you know, they live from soundbite, you know, bullet point to bullet point from quarter to quarter. And it's always, what's the spin? What's the story? It, it really, it's unbelievable um, being 25 years and seeing, you know, seeing how these analyst calls come together and what gets pulled out as like, look, we're onto something. And I'm like, that is not going to matter. This has nothing to do, is not material, but it's a good soundbite. You know, it's a good soundbite. And I'm just like, roll my eyes. And I'm like, it just gives you, you know, that it's time to leave. Because if you're not, if you're not vested in the mission, if you're not trusting your leadership personally, like, do they care about you? And if you're not having fun, you know, you know, it's time to go. You know, it's time to go. So it was time for me to go. And I, and I wanted something different. I wanted something to call my own. And I was either going to do it on my own you know, go spend my own capital to get started building a brand, building a business, or I was going to find a partner or I was going to find something. And this was in the, this was right when COVID bust, you know, this was June, uh, May, June. So that was March, 2020. And I started here at, at uh, Nutrient, uh, June 1st, 2020 was my, my first day. It's coming up, anniversary's coming up, two years. And I found a wonderful visionary investor who had tried a lot of stuff and he needed a leader to take an idea and to create a new brand and a new business. And that leader, you know, was me because I had so much of what he was looking for. Authenticity being chief among them, Uh, a veteran of food, know how to market, how to commercialize, how to, how to, you know, how to go to market, how to sell things, connect with consumers, qualify, right? So all those things, love that about me. But he really loved that I was authentic to the business idea. And that was survival food, nutrient-dense survival food, top shelf, delicious, special ops grade survival food. And that, that's come through a lot of hard work and understanding what we wanted to be about and putting it together and 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 now driving it, you know, we're really seeing great success because we have just put it all together and there's a wonderful bow on it. And now it's about, about driving it. But your question is at a point in time, I stopped resisting putting myself into the business, or I should say putting my, my, my personality in the business and, and opened up. And it was because I was got my ass kicked by that investor. 
And he said to me, I will never forget. And I tell, I have told him this, and this guy's a 13 time over billionaire, right? So he, he is, and he's so strategically engaged in what we do. Uh, and I love it. I love it. But he said to me, Eric, where is the Eric that I hired? I hired you to be creative, to put the put put, put your your personal mark on this business, to live the brand, to be the brand. If I wanted somebody, you know, from Harvard uh, to run the business and be the management of the business, I would have done that, right? But I I hired you because of your authenticity and because who you are, and and what I saw when we talked to you, you know, when we were having a, a decent, we were doing fine. But until he had that conversation with me, I said, all right, you want to see that? Here we go. And, and since that point in time, I've just been pouring my heart and soul into it beyond what I normally do, by, but, but by making it mine. And so I, you know, I used to shy away from, hey, it's not about me. It's about the brand. You know, your biggest goal was don't screw up the brand. It has a long storied history. There's going to be people that come. Uh, there's people before you. There's going to be people after you. You know, don't screw it up. That was your biggest goal. <laughs> but, but here at Nutrient Survival, it truly is a startup. I mean, we had zero sales in June of 2020. Okay. Last month, I did over $750,000. Okay. And, and that's, that's, you know, a month, uh, you know, zero to that per month. Right. So it's been, it's been great. It's been exciting. It's been fun. And what it is, it's seeing your hard work come to fruition. It's just working your tail off, staying true to what you're about and never, never quitting, never stopping. We've learned so much. And that's what it is. You just pick yourself back up and like, okay, that worked or that didn't work. What do you, what do you do differently? Where do you go from here? And there's not the bureaucracy. There's not the, you know, qualification. There's, there's none of that. If, if it is to be, it's up to me. And I got a great team of other folks that are excited about what we do. Uh, and really, really also just are so committed. Um, so it's been, it's been the job of, uh, of my dreams for sure. And I'm having a blast. And how large is the company overall? Um, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, we're, as, we're as only, far as the employees. Yeah, yeah. So, so we're about thirty-five people, and then we use uh, temporaries to help us through some surge capacity, you know, surge issues. Uh, and so, you know, there was a we. I have a uh, we we. Am, I've, I've adopted the wolf as my spirit animal here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love the wolf. Please do I mean, tell why. <laughs> I have a whole article. Go to my website, nutrientsurvival.com. Check it out, and there is there's a an article that I wrote, just a little essay um, uh, about the wolf. And my high school mascot was actually a wolf. Yeah. So how about that? But the wolf isn't a symbol of of teamwork, of loyalty, family, uh, of of survival, right? And they are not. They're not. Uh, vicious by, by nature, but, but man, they, you know, they, they will protect what they love. And that's, uh, that's what we're about. You know, we want to help people protect what they love. And that is their family. That's their way of life. It's freedom, you know, and, and I think that is, uh, that's so cool. So, so the wolf, yeah, the wolf is our, our spirit animal. And, um, I have no idea where I was going with that, but that's, that's a fact. So we're having a lot of fun. With well, I was, I was asking the overall uh, size because I, I work um, now. I work for a, a startup that yeah. I was employee number in, in the sixties, and that yeah. was yeah. that was only ten months ago, wow. and now we're at like one hundred and fifty. Wow! And it's great. I can just tell you from what I know about the startup world, and mm-hmm. it's very little, but I can. Mm-hmm. Um, Nutrient survival is, is definitely there, it, you know, and I want you to explain what it is because uh, I want to make sure the listeners know what we're talking about, okay. but I think the name implies what it is. But, you know, I think nutrient survival is, you know, 
you know, you, you talk about seeing growth in uh, the past two years. I think it's only it's, and I'm not just saying this because you're a guest on my podcast. It's just, if you go to the nutrient survival website, you'll just see it. Mm-hmm. It is, you've got, you, you're, you've got a product and you've got a brand and you've got a, a mission that is not, um, it's, it's not, it's, it's not tacky. It's not, uh, it's, it's not reaching for short, short term goals. It's just, it, it's just one of those things where I want to say, what I, what I'm trying to say is you look at it and you're like, mm, damn, wish I thought of that. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, so, no, yeah, so, so please, please, uh, do, do, yeah. do, uh, explain, uh, talk okay. about, um, sure. give the best description you can of what nutrient survival yeah. is. Well, I, I love talking about the business. I love talking about the business. So I, I will, I will start with saying, you know, as I described what the next great thing that I wanted to do was about creating a brand, creating a business, creating a team. Uh, I thought about, you know, do I go make a, a, a beer brand? You know, I was, I'm, I love beer and I, I really do. I love beer, especially the IPAs and the crafts and all that. And I'm like, man, that's what I want to do. I'm going to go buy into, but anyway, so I, I ended up here, not because I'm a health freak or anything of that nature, but because it really was the opportunity to build something um, from scratch and have the support of somebody that was really committed to this idea. And the idea is that nutrient dense food does for your body and does for your mind what it was intended to do and that it powers you from the inside out at a cellular level. There is reams of science on this and I know none of it and I don't even care about it. Honestly, (laughs) I really don't. I I really don't because there's people that are, they spent their lifetime learning all this science and so for me, I'm like, it works. It's part of the mystique of, of what we do. Nutrient density works. The military, and this is where my, my background, the military studied this stuff for, for years upon years upon years. Uh, there, there are grants upon grants and studies upon studies, and they actually publish standards that say, this is what our soldiers need to sustain them during you know, high-intensity high stress activities, i.e. taking bullets. And what's good for the regular soldier it com- becomes even more good for special operators. And so there's, there's two standards. One that's called operational rations and one that's restricted rations. This has to do with what is in the food that soldiers eat. And if you're a special operations forces operator, Green Beret, SEAL, you know, Raider, whatever, uh, you need restricted rations. And those are super nutrient dense. They, they, the military says you need exactly what we're, what we're about. Right. And that's nutrient density in your food. Cause that is what's going to sustain these soldiers and help them achieve victory and, and win our nation's wars. And so when we look at our food, we actually design our food now to the standards of the U S military for what would be approved, right, to the standards of the special operations forces. And that, so that's why we, we say today we're top shelf, i.e. premium, you know, the best of the best, uh, delicious. Food's got to taste good. It's, it's absolutely essential. Most freeze-dried food's not the thing you reach for when what's for dinner tonight, baby. It's not like, hey, we're having freeze-dried macaroni and cheese. That's not what you hear, right? And, and, and special ops grade nutrition. So top shelf, delicious, special ops grade nutrition. That's our deal designed to the nutritional standards of the military, but it's intended for people like us. Who are people like us? People like us are people that care about protecting what they love. So you might think of these people as, as crazy people, as preppers, but the reality is, Adam, I'm telling you, 50% of the U.S. population preps. They say that they prep. They are either in the active state of prepping or, or they have been maintaining their preps, okay? So for my wife, before I came here and started buying freeze-dried food for her, bringing it home for Valentine's Day, it was running off to Costco and grabbing a couple of cases of chicken noodle soup and maybe some extra rice bags. And, you know, that's prepping, peanut butter. But, but you know, that's a layer of preps. And you need to have long shelf life preps. 
So when we started telling our story to preppers about how they were buying prepper food from all the other guys, all the other competitors, you know, you know them, they're on Fox news every night, you know, or Patriots, whatever. I mean, all these guys, uh, they are, they are ironically and sadly, their food has no nutritional value in it whatsoever. Their, their story is calories equals energy equals survival. Our story is nutrients equal a sound mind and body that equals survival. If you can't run to the end of the street, if you can't, if you can't think straightly under a dire situation, you are not going to make it. In fact, you will be malnourished. If you eat that stuff, you're going to be malnourished. You're going to get scurvy. You're, you're not going to have a good immune system. Your, your skin's going to start to get rashes. Trust me. I mean, this is, this is not, I'm not making this up. That's what nutrients in your food do. And if you don't have nutrients in your food, you're, you're, you're hosed. So we pack, we have a patented process. We pack all these nutrients into this food. We cook it. Our, our uh, R&D guy uh, is Chef Shock. He's a certified culinary chef, worked at some of the finest restaurants in, uh, in Reno and loaded it up with nutrients, made it taste delicious. We freeze dry it. It's a patented process. We freeze dry it. And when it's done, we pack it up and, and we give it to people uh, so that they can endure and they can, they can survive and they can thrive. So that's what makes us different. That's what makes us special. And I'll tell you, the market, the market is responding. They get it. We're not the cheapest. We're not going to sell you your supply of survival food for $3.99. You know, sorry, it's not our deal. But we're going to sell you the best survival food that's going to get you through any situation. So when you think about that, for me, that's, that's the starting point. What eventually we want to do is, if it works in a survival situation, just think what it can do for you every day. So we want to we want to cross the cross over from, you know, food in a can that lasts 25 years to food you're eating every day. That's the real goal. Uh, you know, people are way over uh, indulged in over processed, ultra processed food. It's just the American diet, and you can't run away from it. But you can make choices. You can make choices to eat better and to get what you need. Um, and so if we can crack that nut, man, wow, that is a huge marketing, uh, that is a huge market and it's a huge marketing opportunity for sure. Uh, and just, that's the vision. How do we cross over and give people what they need? Not, not an emergency. It's like when you, sorry, I'm keep talking here. It's not like when you go out and play football, okay, you don't, or train and run an ultra marathon, you know, you don't show up and say, I'm going to run a marathon today. You know, you train, you, you're prepared for it every single day. And the same thing applies to, you don't just show up in an emergency and like, okay, I'm going to start having a sound body in mind. You know, you need to be ready. You need to, you need to get yourself ready right now, right now. Let's go. So there you go. Nutrient survival, feed your freedom, baby. And I can, I can uh, personally speak to uh, what you had said, first said that, you know, the, the whole idea that this is just for doomsday preppers or, you know, uh, a certain subset of people. Um, I'm, I, 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 I have a, uh, I, I'm getting a 14 day supply of emergency food, right. uh, from nutrient survival. Um, if only because, you know, and I'm, I'm far from anyone who is, uh, thinking that the, the end of the world is next Tuesday, uh, kind of thing. Um, but it's, you look at, you know, just events that have that happen where uh even you know the the heat wave that struck the pacific northwest last year mm-hmm. the uh the, the 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 extreme weather events you know in texas when they had that frost and they or that ice storm and they were without power for two days and it's just you know like i said i mean i'm you know for me it's just like this shit is happening and you know i have no idea what you know and i think it's you might um I think at some point you, you referred, it was a, I wish I had this quote highlighted a little bit more. So, but it was more, it was, uh, you use the language of the eventual emergency and not language around if, when emergency. And so, and I, and I agree with that, whatever, whatever that emergency might be, that emergency is going to come. 
Uh, and so it just like you were saying, like, yeah, you're not showing up the day of expecting to be prepared. It just is a process. And part of this process, for, you know, for this aspect of life is that nutrition. And so, uh, you know, the marketing aspect, I wonder, have you ever thought about um, doing some sort of like marketing? Marketing. Here I am giving marketing advice to know, someone like good. you. Jeez. But have hey. you ever considered doing something where it's like, um, you know, somebody just lives on nutrient survival for thirty days and just like the before and after <laughs> effects of uh, of like getting health diagnostics yeah. done or something? Yeah. Well. Um, well, you you know, I, I don't know if you've got enough, you know, fat on you to survive that, but we. <laughs> It's so funny you say that because I was on a podcast, gosh, probably about a year ago now with these, these guys that are at a riot called We Like Shooting is the, is the group of guys. And there's five guys that they just talk about guns and shooting and stuff like that. And I was on there as a guest. And of course, we got talking about survival food. And one of the guys is, hey, I wonder if I could survive for 30 days and eat only this. And Another guy, I'll take you up on that. Next thing you know, they're doing a 30-day survival challenge, eating only our food, keeping very, you know, very regimented journals and logs of what they're eating. And we gave them all the food and they were great sports about it, but they, they stuck to it. And I'll tell you, man, both these guys lost like 40 pounds in 30 days. They had a lot to lose. Let me put it that way. <laughs> uh, I think they lost probably about 10% right? Of their body weight, which is just more than that. Yeah. Yeah. 20% because they're about 200 each. So losing 40 pounds. So, so they trimmed down, they looked great. They felt great. They, their blood pressure came down. Some of their cholesterol marks came down. So just all these positive health outcomes off this challenge. So it really, truly is not just survive, but thrive. I mean, you you will change your life. And if you stick to it, you know, it's easy to pop back and take on all the old bad habits. But um, it was just an amazing story. And it was actually the thing that encouraged us to think about, okay, we've got something here. You know, how do we get other people that could use our help in getting their lives back together, their health back together with an everyday regimen? And so we, you know, we launched these things that we call daily action packs. I call them pantry packs, daily action packs. And, and that's the idea, you know, put it in the pantry and pull it out. And, you know, every, every morning I have my oatmeal. I have for lunch today, I actually had my triple cheese Mac. I ran home, I had to sign some papers. I ran home and uh, I, I, you know, made myself a quick bowl of my triple cheese Mac. It was great. You know, so, so far I'm two out of two for today. My meals, I'm going to go home. I don't know. My wife's got maybe some pizza or something, but you know, little, little steps. So yeah, man, if, if you, if you're ever up for that, I, you know, I will, I will sponsor you. You'll have to watch out. I think it'll do wonderful things for you though. Oh, well, if you want to, uh, I mean, I, I could, uh, I'm all on board for it. Uh, short answer. Yes. Uh, or if you, uh, wanted to sponsor a mediocre, Aver, uh, <laughs> mediocre ultra runner who uh is far and away his number one goal in any race that he does is simply to finish <laughs> regardless yeah. of yeah. if it's you know first or one second before i would uh, i would gladly gladly sport That's the good. nutrient survival uh brand and logo um That's it. you know and I'll, I'll you know it's uh yeah I, like i said before I, I it's one of those things where you look at and you look at your story and it's just it you know, it's just something, it's just something you want to believe in. And it's just something that you want, you like, you know, you're, you can tell you're not, you're not trying to, you know, it is a business, so you're making money, but you're not trying to seize on people's fears. You're not trying to uh, take advantage is I think the phrase mm -hmm. I'm trying to, I'm looking for. Um, you're just, you're offering yeah. quality product and it's coming from a place where, you know, you've, where that authenticity that you spoke to before. Um, well, Eric, I, I have to play time cop here or else we're yep. going to, we're, we're going to go for hours and, uh, because <laughs> I could go, there's just, you know, my notebook is just riddled with things that I want to ask right. you about. Um, right. but, but Eric, where, where, uh, where would you like to direct anyone who's listening out there who might be interested in nutrient survival, uh, to learn more about it? 
Well, I mean, obviously the website, but if, if anybody wants to connect with me personally, it's Eric at nutrientsurvival.com. You know, they, they can do that. You've got my phone number. Um, so uh, you can do it anytime, but it's been great speaking with you. You're an inspiration for me. Uh, when I, when I see people like you, I know that, you know, our country is in good hands. I'm only, you know, whatever, 15, 20, 20 years ahead of you, but, uh, but you're doing awesome stuff and, and thank you for living into your mission and, and what you believe in and what you want to, you know, what your mark is going to be at the end of the day. And that means a lot. And you inspire a lot of us. Okay. So keep doing what you're doing, Adam. Thank you. That's going to be a wrap for this episode of the It Matters to Me podcast with my guest, Eric Christensen, CEO of Nutrient Survival. Be sure to check out the show notes for a special link to 10% off your Nutrient Survival order, as well as anything else that came up during our conversation. Also, if you have a minute and you enjoyed this episode and the podcast overall so far, please consider leaving a review and sharing it with a friend. It really helps other people discover the show. And if there's someone you think I should have on the show, please let me know by writing an email to adam at itmatterstomepodcast.com. Thanks for listening. And until the next one, this is Adam Casey signing off.